It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And as we jump into February, you may be getting ready for Pardon Me Pete, if you're a Rankin and Bass fan, maybe looking for Puxatawney Phil, if you're looking for the true weather, or how about living that same day over and over again if you're Huey, Dewey, and Louie. But nonetheless, it is the week of February 2nd, 2017, show number 163. And to help us kick into February, we are going way back. We're going back to all those live-action Disney classics that you love, as we're welcoming none other than the talented, the Disney legend, Michael McGreevy here at the show. Now you may know Michael McGreevy from a variety of classic Disney live action movies, from the computer war tennis shoes, the shaggy DA, now you see him, now you don't, the strongest man in the world, Snowball Express, Toby Tyler, a variety of wonderful world of colors, and so much more. And Michael's going to stop in and talk about a variety of different things, what it's like being part of these staples in the Disney live action pantheon and catalog of films, what it was like actually knowing Walt Disney, returning to Walt Disney's office those many years later after he passed away, being best friends with his on-screen best friend as well, Kurt Russell, and so many other things. So we are gearing up for the Disney legend, Michael McGreevy, stopping in here very shortly. And no show would be complete without the D-Team. That's right, you have the questions, he has the answers, and Aaron is going to answer all your questions, and I want to know. We have Paige with the music for your ears and the magical music review. We're going to go deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD you have to add to your collection with Jason. And let's not forget our newest D-Team member, Dominic, who's going to continue with Disney's short leash. There is tons of news hot off the D-Wire. From the Walt Disney World Resort, the Planet Hollywood Observatory, Disney Springs, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, Star Wars, Disney's cruise ships, Disney Channel, and so much more. So before we officially jump into this week's show, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Mickey's Travel. And Mickey's Travel is 100% free, no fee agency. They're going to help you plan, book, and prepare and make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. From dining reservations, character interactions, and so much more, they're going to take care of you. So definitely check them out. Mickey'sTravel.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, we're going to kick into show number 163 for the week of February 2nd, 2017 by going way back in time to those live-action Disney classics. Be right back, all of you D-heads. The computer wore tennis shoes and a twinkle in his eye. Never met a groovier dude and electric kind of guy. Socket shock and finally socked into a real cerebral high. Growing his mind into the kind that leaves old Einstein wigging out behind. The computer wore tennis shoes and a smile upon his face. Turning on every chicken town at a cosmographic pace. 
guy that's crazy and amazed and otherwise dazed the whole darn human race. Making the news, paying his dues, that turned on uptight, flat on sight, totally together, computer and tennis shoes. Crazy and amazed and otherwise saves the whole darn human race. Making the news and his shoes that turned all uptight, that out of sight, totally together, computer and tennis shoes. <laughs> Their dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kurt. Right down that. Next week, the shaggiest comedy ever. The Shaggy DA. Elwood! I am not Elwood. I am actually Will B. Daniel. A candidate for district attorney changes into a dog. Whoop! <laughs> Grab that dog! Don't miss the full-length television premiere of the funniest movie ever unleashed. The Shaggy DA. Next week on The Wonderful World of Disney. Hi, this is Michael McGreevy from uh, the Computer War Tennis Shoes, Snowball Express. Now you see him, now you don't. And you're listening to Disney On Demand. election year. Now, I'm the one who will set you straight. Let the past be watered through the gate. Just an up-and-coming grassroots candidate, and I'm running for the Shaggy DA. Here and I want to be the one to say, not one of them's just going to disappear come next election day, unless you help me enforce our laws, kiss those babies and shake those paws. I'm the shaggiest candidate you ever saw, and I'm running for the shaggy DA. I'm a gentleman through and through. There's nothing but myself that's slick or cute. My interests lie with you. I'm the kind of politician that you can trust. Let's sweep out City Hall's old dust. If you want clean government, I'm a must. And I'm running for the shaggy DA. Now, I don't want to get long-winded here. I've just about had my say. And 
and every one of you is going to get his chance at the polls on election day. I'll just leave you with this final word concerning the knowledge that you've incurred. I'm patting on you both now that you've heard. I'm running for the shaggy DA. Disney Blues. Disney On Demand. Ooh, I thought you were dead. With your host, Jonathan Johnson. What? My dad gave it to me. It shows exactly where we are on the planet. Boop, beep, 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 boop, boop. Was this baby? We'll never be alone. You just tell the man you want to go back to your mother. All right, all of you D-heads, I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 163 for the week of February 2nd, 2017, as we're going back to that pantheon of the golden age of Disney live-action television shows and movies, as we're welcoming none other than the icon, the legend, Michael McGreevy, here to the show very shortly. As I mentioned earlier in the intro, he has been part of a variety of different classic Disney live-action movies, from Computer War Tennis Shoes to Shaggy DA, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, and so many others. We also have tons coming from the D-Team with Aaron, Paige, Jason, and Dominic, and tons of news hot off the D-Wire. So before I officially jump into this week's show, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our lifetime of Disney player, and more right there on the official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney On Demand. Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, all of which are going to help you find our fun, magical show. And if you just can't wait and you need the magic instantly in your ears, it's super easy. All you got to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. You can subscribe to the show and get the latest shows as they get released instantly on your iPhones, your tablets, your Androids, any device that you want to listen to us ramble on week in and week out. It is that easy. And remember, you can find all of these links and more on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. So all of you D-heads, with that said, let's jump right into the news Fresh and hot off the D-wire, and how about Planet Hollywood's all-new transformed Orlando flagship location has now officially reopened its doors. That's right, Planet Hollywood, America's premier restaurant destination dedicated to celebrating the entertainment industry, will now open its Orlando flagship location, Planet Hollywood Observatory, this last week. Now, centrally located to everything nearby in the attractions that overlooks the heart of Disney Springs, the dining, retail, and entertainment district located at the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, the multi-million dollar renovations have transformed Planet Hollywood's iconic globe into a four-story stargazing observatory with all new spaces, including an outdoor terrace, a lounge, 
and an all-new menu with great new eats and tasty treats that you want to have. There's also a 36,000 square foot restaurant that invites patrons from all ages to dine amongst the stars, as they put it, with an immersive theatrical dining experience unlike anything that anybody has experienced before. Now designed by Elkis Manfredi Architects, each floor was created to provide a different experience, so guests can return again and again, always getting something completely new and exciting. Now they can discover all new adventures each and every time. Now walls and glass displays throughout the restaurant are adorned with imagery as well as curated collections of memorabilia that plays homage to a long tradition of filmmaking and the Planet Hollywood continued commitment to the entertainment industry. Now there's also a variety of different things including all new eats and treats. Now as they have officially released in their press statement, we wanted Planet Hollywood Observatory to reinvent what is expected from theme dining. What we've done here is a standalone destination that evokes the feeling of the early 20th century Florida and fits the greater story of Disney Springs, said Planet Hollywood International's founder and chairman Robert Earl. He also stated, we couldn't be more excited to welcome guests and our wonderful staff to the newly reimagined space. Now, the Stargazer's Lounge, a 5,000-square-foot outdoor expansion overlooking Disney Springs, allows guests to relax under the stars while enjoying cocktails, live entertainment, and more. Now, it has officially opened up to the public this last week, and there is an all-new menu and more, including Big Bite Burgers, with great over-the-top signature sandwiches from dynamic chef Guy Fieri, and more. If you want to find out more about this, you can visit Disney Springs, you can go to their official website, and the Planet Hollywood Observatory is officially open to the public from 11 a.m. until 1 a.m. Now, shifting from Walt Disney World Resort in Florida, let's go all the way to the Shanghai Disneyland Resort, where it's marking its first Chinese New Year with guests from home and abroad. Yes, the Shanghai Disney Resort welcomed the first day of the year of the Golden Rooster with guests from China and all around the world. Now, the resort is celebrating with a spectacular series of entertainment, festive decorations, holiday-themed food and beverages, offering all kinds of New Year-themed merchandise. Now, there is more important things to this, and it is great for China to have in connection with the new year. Now, the resort heralds the first day of the new year of the rooster and the two traditional Chinese lions bringing fortune and prosperity to guests in front of the storyteller statue. Now, they're joined by Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, and others that were all dressed in attire to really celebrate the new year. Now, the Shanghai Disney Resort has provided a series of additional New Year activities, including a dragon dance performance in the Gardens of Imagination every day during the celebration period. Now, Mickey leads with the dragon with a pearl and welcomes the guests to join him and his pals in a dance. Now, the longer the dragon, the more luck it brings to its guests. Now, guests also can gather along the longest parade route in any Disney park to enjoy Mickey's Storybook Express, an exciting parade with its own musical soundtrack and colorful performers. Now, classic Disney characters are also dressed in brand new, beautiful Chinese tradition attire, including many others along Mickey Avenue, sharing hugs, taking photos, and smiling for guests. Now, there's also the gleaming new golden rooster icon in the Gardens of Imagination, and it has been designed to welcome guests to conjure up happy and prosperous thoughts throughout 2017. Now, during the Chinese New Year celebration, every night after the nighttime spectacular show, guests will enjoy a special wishes projection event where they will be able to send their best New Year's wishes in the most special ways to the tune of a charming symphony composition by famous Chinese musician Tan Dun with a series of inspirational wishes and quotes. Now, this is going to be fun, it's interactive, and it's something new that is unlike anything else at any other Disney resort. Now, 
moving away from Disney parks that way, let's get into things like gaming, applications, and how about Marvel Entertainment for all of you superhero fans out there. And Marvel Entertainment and Square Enix have teamed up for a multi-year, multi-game creative partnership. Yes, Marvel Entertainment and Square Enix announced this week that a new multi-year, multi-game licensing agreement to develop and publish original games based on beloved Marvel superheroes is going to begin with the Avengers. Now, this newly established partnership pairs the creative minds at Marvel and Square Enix for one of the most powerful alliances in interactive entertainment. Now, the first blockbuster game is being crafted by Crystal Dynamics, the developers of the award-winning Tomb Raider series, in collaboration with Eidos Montreal, the home of the critically acclaimed and award-winning Deuce X game series. Now, the Avengers project is being designed for gamers worldwide and will be packed with all of the characters and environments that everybody has come to love. Now, more details on the Avengers project are going to come over the course of the next year, and other games are going to be announced in 2018. Now, what they want to do is create games that you're going to be able to play for years and years to come. Now, in their official release so far from Square Enix and Marvel, by partnering with Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal, we are now working with two of the best of the industry's most talented and respected game development studios to bring Marvel stories to life in new and exciting ways that have never been experienced. Jay Ong, Senior Vice President of Games and Innovation of Marvel Entertainment has stated. Now, Marvel's diverse and innovative universe has created a millions of longtime fans, and we do not want to let them down. Now, this is an all-new agreement, definitely great partnership, and there's not too many details on it so far other than it's going to be a, a, an Avengers game. I guess that's the biggest thing is we can see some great Avenger products coming and some great Avenger games, but it's coming over the course of the next couple of years and rolling out more titles in 2018. Now, jumping into, I guess, Jason's realm here from the D-Team, but how about Disney's Pinocchio? Yes, we all love Pinocchio. I'm not going to go too far into it because, come on, it's Pinocchio. We all love Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket, and all the classic characters. But Disney's Pinocchio is now available on Blu-ray once again. Now, this is, you know, a newer release from the last that they had. But Disney's animated feature Pinocchio has now been released on Blu-ray once again. And you can get the film also through Digital HD and Disney Movies Anywhere. Now, the film was originally released in 1940, and it is a classic. And some of the special features on the Blu-ray for the re-release are going to include the Pinocchio Project, When You Wish Upon a Star, Walt's Story Meetings, Pleasure Island, and in Walt's words, Pinocchio, and the women in animation. So these are great documentaries. Bonus features are one of the things that I love. I love the behind the scenes, the little documentaries, the featurettes, and it's going to be a good one. And of course, it's just another ploy to get me to buy another Blu-ray copy of Pinocchio. But now you can get yours as well. Now, getting back into interactive things here, uh, I should have tagged this along with Marvel Entertainment here. How about Disney World has officially announced Disney Quest is closing on July 3rd? Yes, for the theme park fans who experienced Disney Quest attraction and fell in love. Officials at the Walt Disney World Resort have announced that it will officially close its doors to the public on July 3rd. Now, taking the place of Disney Quest in the Disney Springs portion of the park will be the NBA Experience. Now, according to the official blog of Disney Parks, the NBA Experience at Walt Disney World Resort is being heralded as a one-of-a-kind attraction, which puts guests directly inside the basketball action. Now, the attraction will feature video productions, interactive experiences based on the NBA, and a themed restaurant and retail store. Now, the changes and upgrades are being made as part of a multi-year transformation of Disney Springs. Now, an interesting as the NBA experience should be, 
I personally don't think that it's a great addition. They already have the wide world of sports. They already have a variety of things like that, and it seems like things like Disney Springs are becoming less and less Disney. I mean, Disney Quest was the last of great new original. It's Disney entertainment, not an outreach, not NBA, not Marvel, not something acquired, not an additional restaurant. Disney Quest was something that was purely Disney. But if you can get down there before July 3rd, you can still experience Disney Quest. Have the fun, make the memories, and I am sad to see it go, much like I was really sad to see Walt Disney's name away from many of the films. Don't even get me started on that one, how Walt has been taken off. Now, moving along here, I guess, from my tirade before I get into a rant and whatnot, how about Disney making a $1 million settlement with the animation workers in Hollywood studio antitrust lawsuit? Disney has agreed to pay over $1 million in a settlement in a class action lawsuit filed in December 2014, claiming that it and other Hollywood studios violated antitrust laws by conspiring to suppress the wages of animation and VFX artists. Now, according to the report by Variety, the settlement, which was disclosed in a court filing on this last Tuesday, covers Disney, Pixar, Lucasfilm, and Tupic MC, formerly known as Image Movers. Now, the Disney settlement follows a $50 million settlement with DreamWorks Animation and a $13 million with Sony Imageworks and a $5.95 million with 20th Century Fox's Blue Sky. Now, the class action lawsuit alleges that Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, and other studios violated antitrust laws by conspiring to suppress the wages of animation and VFX artists with non-poaching agreements. Now, I don't know too much about this. I'm sure it is something that is horrendous and horrible, and they're taking advantage of many animators, but I will say that at least it's been taken care of, and the U.S. District Court in San Jose has scheduled a hearing on the Disney settlement for March 9th of 2017. Now, getting back into more interactive stuff, there's a lot of interactive news here this week. How about Disney pulling the plug on Club Penguin? Yes, Disney has now decided to pull the plug on its social network for kids, Club Penguin, and instead launching an all-new mobile-based product instead called Club Penguin Island. Now, in a recent blog post, Club Penguin revealed that they have been working towards the development of an entirely new platform that delivers a far richer experience and that this platform is going to be called Club Penguin Island. It's going to be launched in March and as part of the process, Club Penguin, as we all know it, will cease to exist on desktop and mobile devices starting on March 29th, 2017. So if your kids are out there much like mine and they really enjoyed and loved playing Club Penguin, it was kind of a safe zone for kids social networking, I guess, on a young age. Well, now you got till March 29th, but fear not, all your favorite penguins and clubbers out there are going to continue on in an all-new realm with Club Penguin Island. So, all of you D-heads, there were some other news that I really did have, uh, from a seven-course meal at Disney, all the way through internet star Thomas Sanders going over to Bizarre Vark, as well as a Disney patent that would alter rides immediately based on passenger emotions. Okay, maybe I'll say this one, because it is a little bit different. How about Disney patent, and it's going to alter rides immediately based on passenger emotions? Yes, the Walt Disney Company hasn't ignored the emergence of auto-driving cars and what that means for the future of theme parks. That's why an all-new Disney patent titled Sensing and Managing Vehicle Behavior Based on Occupant Awareness is looking at a way to read riders' emotions 
and the predetermined interests to customize ride experiences. Now, as they have released so far, the technology would allow rides to adjust show content appropriate for preteens, teenagers, or adults, or for thrill-seeking or non-thrill-seeking passengers. The control system will also operate the vehicle to address many different things, including motion sickness for passengers, as well as adjusting speeds, movement patterns, and more. Now, this is all new technology breaking through something completely new for the Disney and theme park realm. Now, the technology may add more speed changes, spins, sharp corners for riders who are bored or want to have more information. This is going to be a way to really just enhance many different Disney attractions. Now, the question does remain, how is this going to affect future attractions at Disney? I think it could be very cool, very awesome. So with that, I'm going to ditch out the rest of the news for now because we have a ton of things on the horizon. As you have the questions, he has the answers. Aaron is going to answer all those questions and I want to know. We have Paige with a magical music review. Jason going deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD you want to add to your collection. We have Dominic with this week's Disney Short Leash, all while we gear up to go into that golden age of Disney live action. Yes, with Sammy the Way Out the computer wore tennis shoes, the shaggy DA, now you see him, now you don't, the strongest man in the world, and so much more. Yes, Michael McGreevy stopping in here very shortly. So before I release the reins here to the D-Team, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is proudly sponsored by Mickey's Travel. And Mickey's Travel is a 100% free, no-fee agency. They've been in business since 1994. They're knowledgeable, they're experts, they're award-winning, and they are going to help you plan, book, and prepare and make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. From character interactions, dining reservations, your tickets, your booking, your resorts, you name it, they are going to take care of you absolutely free. That is right. And just by mentioning that you heard about them here at Diz Radio, they are going to hook you up with lanyards, autograph books, and so much more just by mentioning that you heard about them here at Diz Radio. So definitely check them out, mickeystravel.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, it has been a jam-packed show so far. Lots of fun news. We're not slowing down. So let's continue on for show number 163 for the week of February 2nd, 2017. And the next time you hear me, I'm going to be here with the legend, the icon, Michael McGreevy here at the show. Take it away, team. to behold in the wonder 
First, they came to life in Toy Story the movie. Now, they're bigger than life. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. It's the new Toy Story Parade at the Disney MGM Studios. See the Green Army Men. That's boo, boo, boo! Mr. Potato Head. Where's my ear? Who's in my ear? And Woody. Howdy, everybody. Laugh like a barrel of monkeys at the new Toy Story Parade. Playing daily. Hey, match. Draw. Only at the Disney MGM Studios. Now this is what I call a parade. Hey, this is John Morris, Andy, from the Toy Story Trilogy, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Thank you. 
You have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Well, it's Super Bowl weekend, and I'm sure a lot of you have parties planned for Super Bowl Sunday. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Well, the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Andrea Reiser of New Jersey, and she writes, Disney On Demand and the team recently visited the world, and it got me thinking about the old days of Hollywood Studios. I think I remember a Toy Story parade at one point. Am I right, or was it just characters in a parade? You're awesome. Well, I never got a chance to experience this parade. The Toy Story parade ran in 1996 during the MGM Studios era. The Green Army men marched at the beginning of the parade, while a version of You Got a Friend in Me played along. Sarge rode on the float and made remarks to the crowd, such as how his favorite color was green. A giant walking slinky dog followed behind. The music changed to Strange Things, at the float with a talking ham and a Mr. Potato Head, standing on the top of a pile of Milton Bradley board games, such as Twister, Operation, Candyland, and Battleship. Red Monkeys marched with their Barrel of Monkeys game behind the board game float. Cast members in red coveralls that had the Toy Story logo on the back had to manually maneuver the barrel. One of the monkeys would occasionally climb up on the float and do things such as pull off Mr. Potato Head's ear. Buzz Lightyear and the aliens from Pizza Planet next appeared on a float with Buzz's spaceship box to the music of You've Got a Friend in Me. Other toys from Andy's room followed behind, such as Bo Peep and her sheep, the wrestler figure, and the troll doll. A driver then drove a Hot Wheels car while more Green Army men appeared with the walkie-talkies that they used on their missions. Woody brought up the rear of the parade on a float that featured Rex, the tape recorder microphone, Lenny the binoculars, and the snake puppet. After the parade ended its run, Toy Story Weekends was held. The floats were pulled onto New York Street and a small show called Operation Toy Story would be performed. This was very short-lived, and eventually the floats were retired, and Buzz and Woody were moved to a set location for meet greets. Parade floats would sometimes be placed around the park for photo opportunities. Interesting fact, the Green Army Men float at the beginning of this parade was later reincarnated as the giraffe float at Animal Kingdom's Festival of the Lion King. Pixar and the Toy Story films later had a larger presence at the studios. The Toy Story crew was featured in the Stars and Motor Cars Parade, Block Party Bash Parade, and the Pixar Pals Countdown to Fun Parade. The Pixar Place area of the studios featuring the Midway Mania ride was later opened in 2008 giving all the Toy Story pals a permanent home. Well, our next question is from Karen Y. of Montana, and she writes, Question for the show. Hope it finds the right person. 
I had a question about Disney's Atlantis. I know there was a sequel at one point and a soundtrack, but was there ever a solid toy line for it or games? I love this underrated classic, but it's tough to find anything. Well, Atlantis The Lost Empire was released in 2001. Atlantis was among Disney's first major attempts to utilize internet marketing. The film was promoted through Kellogg's, which created a website with many games and a movie-based video game giveaway for UPC labels from specially marked packages of Atlantis breakfast cereal. The film was one of Disney's first marketing attempts through mobile network operators and allowed users to download games based on the film. McDonald's, which had an exclusive licensing agreement on all Disney releases, promoted the film with Happy Meal toys, food packaging, and in-store decor. The McDonald's advertising campaign involved television, radio, and print advertisements beginning on the film's release date. And also, Frito-Lay offered free admission tickets to the film on specially marked snack packages. There are several games based on the film. Atlantis Search for the Journal was developed by Zombie Studios and published by Buena Vista Games. It was released on May 1st, 2001 for the Microsoft Windows platform and was a first-person shooter game. The first of two games based on the film developed by Zombie Studios and released for UPC labels from Kellogg's products for promotion. Atlantis Trial by Fire was the second game developed by Zombie Studios and published by Disney Interactive and was released May 18, 2001 for the Microsoft Windows platform. Another game released for Atlantis The Lost Empire. It was an action game developed by Eurocom for PlayStation console, which was released on June 14, 2001. The player controls Milo, Audrey, Molière, and Vinny as they traverse Atlantis, unlocking its secrets. Some features in the game unlock others, such as a movie, by finding items hidden throughout the game. THQ released Disney's Atlantis The Lost Empire for the Game Boy Advance the Game Boy Color. It's a platform game in which the player controls Milo and three other characters from the film across 14 levels on a quest to discover Atlantis. Mattel released a line of toys from the movie and made action figures of the characters. They also released many of the vehicles like the Aqua Evac Sub and the vehicles they drove to get to Atlantis. They also released some of the Atlanteans vehicles and the Leviathan. You can find some of these great toys on Amazon and on eBay. Well, our final question this week is from Brian Delane of Idaho, and he writes, Aaron, great show. Great guest and happy seven years. Looking for an answer to an old Disney cartoon, Paul Bunyan. Is it available anywhere to download or purchase? Also, was there ever a soundtrack released for it, or maybe some covers of the songs in the cartoon? I miss the old Disney animated classics. Well, you and me both. Paul Bunyan is a 1958 animated musical short film released by Walt Disney Studios. 
It was based on the North American folk hero and lumberjack, Paul Bunyan. The film was directed by Les Clark, a member of Disney's Night Old Men. Thurl Ravenscroft starred as the voice of Paul Bunyan. It was included on a 2002 DVD release of Disney's American Legends, but unfortunately, no soundtrack was officially released. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions. Keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. These are books about America. It's history its geography, and its heroes. But it takes a big book like this one to tell the story of American folklore. The tall tales about men doing big things in a big country. Men like Captain Stormalong, Joe McGarrick, John Henry, Pecos Bill, and the fellow who towers above them all, Paul Bunyan. North America was a great big land with a great big job to be done. A job that needed a great big man, Paul Bunyan was the one. a super strength formula that everyone's after in Walt Disney Productions' new movie comedy, The Strongest Man in the World. I don't think I want any more of your cereal. It's a scientific breakthrough. And the cereal companies are snap, crackle, and popping to get it. See Walt Disney Productions' The Strongest Man in the World, rated G. Everybody, once again, this is Dominic with another edition of Disney's Short Leash. If you missed the first installment of Disney's Short Leash, the Short Leash isn't something you put on Pluto to keep them from rusting fire hydrants. No, no, the Short Leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they are short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more, than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. Jonathan was looking for a short leash tip for the Magic Kingdom, so today let's talk about lines for attractions. It's the bane of everyone's existence. It creates meltdowns and frustrations, and I've watched family and friends walk from attraction to attraction, stare at the wait time, and proceed to do nothing their whole visit. The conversation goes something like this. Hey, Dad, did you ride Space Mountain? No, the wait time was too long. Did you hop on the Jungle Cruise? No, we didn't want to wait for it. What'd you do then? Well, we didn't ride much. We just walked around and sat. I do understand that sentiment. Our family just returned from a short-leash three-day ticket trip over the dreaded Christmas week. I had done the trip over Christmas week before in the 90s, and I remember the crowds being something like the Jerusalem scene in World War Z. 
There was some family preconditioning to be done, some expectations to be lowered. I told them not to expect to go on a lot of attractions. Maybe this would be the trip where we spend time walking around, enjoying decorations, and not worrying too much about riding things. I was surprised that 40 years of Disney World vacations and line avoidance strategies worked even during the most crowded of times. We rode everything and we never waited more than 20 minutes for any attraction. If you can manage that when the parks are super crowded, you are a short leash master. There were several tricks and strategies used to accomplish this feat, but today I'm going to share you one I call the gauntlet. The gauntlet is a Magic Kingdom strategy. I used it on New Year's Eve when they even closed down the park because it was getting too crowded. Let's throw some math in here. The park was open for 17 hours. We were paying about $500 a day for tickets for our family, or almost $36 an hour. On the afternoon of New Year's Eve, we watched the wait times for Big Thunder and Splash Mountain balloon to about 220 minutes. That made standing in that line a $131 endeavor for our family, assuming that we were there from open to close. Not to mention, even if you thought the ride was worth the wait, that wait had an awful side effect of not being able to do anything else for hours. That's where the gauntlet comes in. The gauntlet is a series of attractions that keeps you entertained for most of the afternoon with little or no wait. Hold on, it gets better. The gauntlet also has the benefit of keeping you cool, relatively dry if it rains, and by the time you finish the gauntlet, many of the attractions that had huge wait times before have settled down to something much more reasonable and you can usually walk right in. You see, by the time you finish your afternoon of animatronic entertainment, people have started to go to dinner or are leaving having to deal with their children who are in a full meltdown because you were standing in a 220 minute line all afternoon. Why did you do such a thing? Because you don't listen to this program and you didn't know about the gauntlet. Okay, enough preamble. What exactly is the gauntlet? Gauntlet attractions tend to be attractions of dubious popularity or Attractions that do not stop to load or unload, which keeps the line moving. I start in Tomorrowland, I hit the Carousel of Progress, Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor, Stitch's Great Escape if it's open. Oh, and Haters, that's my son's favorite ride. He's in the third stage of grief right now that they're going to close it. Yeah, you people who think you miss Alien Encounter, go watch a YouTube video of that thing. You'll always hear the same thing at the end. Terrified children screaming, Mommy, I don't want to be here anymore. Anyway, for the aforementioned shows, I'm usually in climate-controlled splendor within one show. On my way out, I might see if there's a stage show, dance party, some street entertainment going on as well. With every land, I check the lines at the people-eating rides. Those are the attractions that don't stop the load or unload. With that in mind, over at Tomorrowland, I'll check Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin and the People Mover. If the line is under 20 minutes, I'll hop on. If not, I move on. Lines for those attractions will practically disappear earlier or late in the day, so no need to wait if I don't have to. It's off the fantasy land for Mickey's Philhar Magic. I'll check on the times for Pooh, Little Mermaid, Dumbo. It's a long shot, but Dumbo has an active playground, so my kids are actually disappointed when the line moves too fast because they can't jump around in the play area. Again, under 20 minutes, I'm in. If it's over, I keep on moving to Liberty Square where I check the wait time for the people eating Haunted Mansion. Same rule applies. 20 minutes, I go in. Over 20, come back later. I'll keep an eye on the park schedule for a ride on the Liberty Bell. Philly represent that stream ship, John. I'll check out my new favorite street show, Great Moments in History with the Muppets, and after that it's nap time in the Hall of Presidents. Once I am gently woken up by a cast member, we figuratively and literally head west to the Country Bear Jamboree. Once that's over with, I'll take a second to laugh at the people still at the Big Thunder Mountain line and take a shortcut over to the Enchanted Tiki Room. Once they have infected your brain with some catchy tunes that will haunt you for some time to come, check out Pirates of the Caribbean and the Jungle Cruise, you may get lucky on the wait. Honorable mentions go to doing a loop on the 
the Walt Disney World Railroad, maybe take some time to console the Swiss Family Treehouse, which is still dealing with a debilitating case of tree envy ever since they built the Tree of Life in Animal Kingdom. And let us not forget the tremendous waste of park space that is Tom Sawyer Island. I know I said something earlier about not being a hater, but come on. 20,000 leagues under the sea and Mr. Toad are gone, but this thing's still here. Where's the justice? In total, the gauntlet is almost five hours of attractions when you add ride time, an average of 10 minute wait, and five minutes to get from one attraction to another. You can add almost another three and a half hours if you score those people eating attractions. Again, that's in the neighborhood of 15 to 18 attractions in about eight hours. When we were there New Year's Eve, people waited almost seven and a half hours just to ride Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. I'll take eight hours worth of entertainment versus standing in line any day. To add insult to other people's injuries, after the fireworks we walked right on those two rides in less than five minutes, no fast pass needed. That's short leash, doing far more than others with far less time. That's your short leash tip for this week. I hope it's helpful. Jonathan, thanks again for having me. Loving boys discover a way out seal at the beach. That's a picnic. But when they go way out and bring their seal home as a pet, that's a panic. In a surefire formula for fun, Walt Disney combines frolicsome kids, a swinging seal, a fidgety French poodle, and some unsuspecting parrots. And that's the hilarious adventures of Walt Disney's Sammy the Way Out Seal. Harold! 
What are you doing in the pool? I imagine you think that's pretty funny, Loomis. What? Needling me, that's one thing. But shoving me in a pool, that's going a little too far. What you... what's going on? I don't know. I think Harold's flipped. Well, let's see how you feel about a dunk in the pool. Get into the swim of things as Sammy turns a quiet, out-of-the-way community into a veritable panicsville. Lights, camera, action. It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And as we continue to bring you all the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, many times those are ones that have been passed on to generations. Whether you grew up with them or you're passing them on down to your kids like I am right now, with us here this week is somebody that is a Disney legend. He's been in such films like Toby Tyler, as well as the Computer War Tennis Shoes, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, Snowball Express, Strongest Man in the World, The Shaggy DA, as well as The Wonderful World of Color, and so many others. We have the actor, the icon, the Disney legend, Mike McGreevy here. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jonathan. Oh, it is our pleasure. Your list continues to impress, especially because many of these films are ones that I grew up with. Uh, you know, I really love a lot of these classic Disney films that were just really fun family slapstick humor. I guess the one question, and I know all of our listeners are probably rolling their eyes right now because I ask it every time. What got you into acting first and foremost? Oh, what got me into acting? Uh, totally by mistake. Um, I was, uh, my, my older sister and I, I guess I was about five and she was about seven. Uh, we watched, um, uh, an Astaire Rogers movie and went to my mother and said, we want to do that. We want to be dancers. Uh, and my mother sort of reluctantly said, really? And, and, uh, but she, uh, took us to a dance school and, um, uh, I loved it. I mean, it was really what, what I wanted to do, and uh, so did my sister. Um, the dance school was owned by a couple called uh, uh, Gower and Marge Champion. Uh, they were a famous dance team in Hollywood, and Gower later went on to become uh, a major choreographer-director on Broadway, uh, did things like Hello, Dolly, and 42nd Street, and Bye Bye Birdie. Um, and Gower was just starting to to do direction and, and choreography uh, in Hollywood, and he was doing a movie called The Girl Most Likely with Jane Powell. It was a musical, and uh, he needed for one sequence he needed ten little kids who were in a dream sequence. We were Indians to Jane Powell's squaw, and uh, <laughs> so he naturally went to his dance school to see if he could find kids. And I think because I had red hair and was sort of cute in those days, um, and I could move, I could dance, uh, and uh, I got one of the parts. And that's really how I got into it. And then immediately after that, at least in those days, this is like 1955, 54, 55, um, you know, suddenly agents were calling my parents saying, does Mike want to continue this? And uh, 
So what got me into acting was dancing, and what I really became an actor by by actually working. Um, you know, I, I learned on the job sort of stuff. I was very lucky. I worked with obviously some great actors over the years, and uh, with some very good directors. But that's how I got started. I was really going to be the next Gene Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and there's nothing wrong with that because Gene Kelly has had some fantastic films. I mean, you know, come on. It's Gene Kelly. I mean, you know, some of my favorites, Singing in the Rain, uh, in American in Paris. I mean, Gene Kelly was an icon. But you went on to do, you know, uh, I guess bigger and better things because when you become a Disney legend, it goes down in history. And you were part of some of those films that everybody has loved that has been passed down. And, you know, getting involved with a lot of these from Toby Tyler on up. I guess what was it like being... I guess, becoming part of that Disney family and landing these roles and then becoming such a regular. Yeah. Well, you know, at, at the time, I, I, when I first started over there, I had a small part at the very end of Toby Tyler was the first thing I did over there. And at the time, I, you know, I was pretty uh, in demand as an actor. Uh, and my my parents actually said, do you really want to do this small part? Um and our agent was very smart at the time. He said, you know, Mike should do this because I think he can get a lot of work at Disney, which became an <laughs> understatement. But um, so I did this small part. I worked one day and, and did the small part um, in the end of Toby Tyler. And uh, I'm really glad I did because uh, then, you know, I was constantly being called over there. And um, as as a young kid, it was great working at Disney, not because I knew that it was a legendary studio or uh it was uh fun um the you know they they had so many young people there that that the the crews and and everybody were were very comfortable working with kids and knew how to to handle kids you know and and make it make it fun make it like summer camp uh so, you know, when you went from working at Universal or 20th Century Fox and then you went over to Disney, it was always like going on vacation. Um, the other, you know, perk for me was when, when I worked over there in the beginning, anyhow, um, Walt Disney was still alive. And he was uh, an absolute presence all the time. Uh, he was there every day. Uh, you'd be doing a scene and you'd look up and there'd be Walt standing over in the corner, quietly watching. Uh, and uh, he was just exactly the way you imagined he'd be. You know, um, he was Walt Disney. He was, and he, he wanted you to call him Uncle Walt, which we never could do. Uh, I, I, I've had this conversation with Kurt Russell many times. You know, we were supposed to call him Uncle Walt, and it just felt so weird. I had to call him Mr. Disney because I had such respect for him. Uh so, yeah, Disney was like a whole different place. I obviously didn't know at the time I was there. Uh, you know, I can remember doing, I did a, a, a wonderful world of color called Sammy the Way Out Seal. And um, uh, they were uh, they were shooting, no, it wasn't Sammy. It was uh, For the Love of Willadine. It was a, 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 almost a sequel to Sammy. Uh, they were shooting um, Mary Poppins. And Bill Mooney and I, who played brothers, and, and Roger Mobley, would go over, you know, on our breaks and watch them shoot uh, things like the, the chimney sweep rooftop scene, uh, <laughs> you know. And we were watching history being made, but we didn't know it at the time, um, you know. And I remember seeing Julie and Dick Van Dyke all the time in the commissary, you know, in their outfits. And 
you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what they were doing, you know. But uh, it, it was, it was, all that history was being made around you. But uh, as a kid, you really didn't know it. Um, and uh, but now I look back on it, and you know, uh, I used to play ping pong with Walt Disney. I mean, come on, you know. My mother said, "Don't, <laughs> don't beat him." <laughs> but I never did. He was a good ping pong player. Supposedly, Kurt Russell claims that he beat him, so uh, he has one up on me. But it was it was a wonderful place to be, really wonderful. Well, you know, and I can only imagine, like you said, with, you know, having Walt Disney there in presence, you know, living up to what you'd expect out of him. And, of course, that goes into those later films, too, like The Computer War Tennis Shoes, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, Snowball Express, and moving into a lot of those films where, you know, you had this stable, being part of a community and these great films that were always just fun, slapstick kind of things. Was it always a ball being on set filming, I guess, these films? You know, you had Chimpanzee. You're, you know, you're talking about turning invisible. I guess was it just as fun on the set? Oh, it was. It was, and and you know, you had uh, uh, lasting friendships. Uh, you know that, that were created on those movies. Uh, uh, I adored Joe Flynn. Unfortunately, we lost him after his Strongest Man in the World. But uh, and Kurt and I are still best friends. Uh, we've been lifelong friends, and it all started there. And uh, yeah, it was always fun. It was always low pressure. Uh, again, we enjoyed what we were doing. Um, it was always innovative. Uh, with Walt gone, I did sense at one point that there wasn't that creative leadership that had been there all the time. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of p- people that, that had worked with Walt that tried to carry that on, and they, they, they did as best they could. But there was that... that you, you sense that something was was missing a little bit, you know. Uh, but still, that wonderful family feeling, um, and uh, great directors like Robert Butler and uh, Norman Tokar, I got to work with, uh, and, and actors like Dean Jones and, and Keenan Wynn, um, you know, um, just legendary people um, and, and great professionals that like I was saying, taught me a lot about the art of acting. Um, and uh, the the other part of it all was all the crews were always the same. You, you had the same people. So, which never, you know, never happened, you know, unless you were on a series somewhere. Uh, so it was like a family. You know, you'd show up for, you know, oh, we're going to do the Invisible show now, you know, and, and every you'd walk on the, the set and... and your family was there, this family that you, you'd done all this other stuff with. So it was very relaxed, and, and uh, I think that contributed to the fun of the, of the final products. You know, I've had, I have people that those movies, those Medfield comedies, they call them the Medfield comedies with Kurt, um, they were sort of uh, seminal moments in their, in their pre-teen and teen years. And those movies still sort of resonate for them, even though they're, you know, they're, they're sort of lightweight in terms of, but they're fun and, and well made, you know. Uh, and, you know, I'm proud of that, 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 that I, I become part of the legacy of Walt Disney, um, uh, you know, in, 
in making those lovely films over there. Well, you know, definitely, and like you said, you know, they were called those the the Medford films, and you know, it's one of those those fictional areas. And of course, being part of a, a film, a, you know, series like that, like you said, normally it's a television series where everyone gets to see each other. But I think that's what made these films so memorable. Is it was the the same crew a lot of the times, the same actors, and it felt like almost like you were coming home each time. And I think that's what made it memorable. Uh, now, with that too, you know, looking back at many of these, was there one of the films that uh, is your absolute favorite to date when you look back and, you know, actually rewatch it all these years later? Yeah, I, I, for some reason, and, and, and maybe it's because it was the, the largest part I had, uh, uh, Now You See Him, Now You Don't was my favorite experience. Um, and there was another, there was a um, a wonderful world of color two-parter that, that I did called uh, Michael O'Hara the Fourth. Um for some reason, those two projects, although everything I did over there I had, you know, I, I'm proud of and I enjoyed. Um, but Now You See Him, Now You Don't was just, it was the second one in the trilogy. Uh, I felt very comfortable. Um, and same director, Bob Butler, and I had the same cast around me. I had, you know, had become by then really good friends with Kurt and, and really good friends with Joe Flynn. Uh, so, it, it, for some reason, it, it, everything just sort of came together. And there's one scene in that movie that that uh, it's very rare that an actor likes something that he did. <laughs> when you watch this stuff, you say, "Oh, that's pretty good." Uh, there's one scene in that movie what, that I, I really, yeah, when I watched it the first time, I went, "That's really funny." You know, uh, I was amazed that I didn't feel uncomfortable watching myself. So, yeah, I would say, "Now you see him, now you don't." Um, is my favorite. Now, I guess with that, you know, looking back at these films, because, you know, there's so many different films in the Disney uh, pantheon of movies, you know, and these films continue to be lasting impressions. I mean, I've passed them on to my kids and, you know, they're 10 years old and they still really enjoy these. Um, does it impress you that these movies still are being viewed today as, you know, great Disney live action classics? Oh, yeah. And, and it's it's always, uh, it, at first it amazed me. I started going to uh, some of these autograph shows and, and uh, Disneyana and, and uh, you know and and um, I, at first I was sort of amazed that they even remembered it uh, and then I, I realized like I said for for a lot of young people uh, it it came at a very seminal time for them these movies were something that they they will remember the, their entire life and they will pass it on they, they always say the same thing they always say. Uh, yeah, and my, my kids now watch it. You know, uh, they pass it on to their children, uh, which is wonderful. I mean, you know, that kind of tradition of that. Uh, I had one interesting moment where, uh, a couple was standing at, at the table and they were looking at pictures from Sammy the Way Out Seal and they were going, wow, oh yeah, oh great, you know, and, and, uh, my wife was sitting with me and she said, uh, you like that, that show? And, and they said, well, yeah, our, our son, became obsessed with this show and my wife said really and, and they said yeah he would watch it from he was about from five until about 12 years old he watched it almost every day they got a tape of it you know and, and uh, I said I said really and they at, at that point they didn't realize I was you know one of the boys in with the seal and they said oh my god you're him and I said yeah and they said god our, our son would love you know your autograph and so I 
I did uh, a thing uh, on a couple of the pictures to Chad, and I said, so what is Chad doing today? And uh, they said, oh, he's a neurosurgeon. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you're kidding me. He said, oh, he's at UCLA Med. And and, uh, I said, so this boy that, you know, watched Sammy the Way Out Seal every day uh, became a neurosurgeon. I think that's pretty interesting. And I later got a note from him saying, thank you so much for the autograph picture. And I still watch Sammy the Way Out Seal with my kids. So, yeah, there's something about the Disney stuff that, uh, I mean, I even do that with my kids. Uh, they watched all the animated stuff growing up and uh, and watched my stuff, too, and made fun of me, you know, which was great. And my wife, who is an educator, uh, recently retired, but she taught third, fourth grade for 25 years. And on the last day of school every year, she would show uh, one of the, the Disney movies with me in it and have a contest of, of if who, who in the class could pick out who her husband was. <laughs> so, uh, but she always said the same thing. She said, I said, did you watch, what did you show today? And she said, oh, I, I showed computer wear tennis shoes. I said, and? And she said, they laughed all the way through it. So, I mean, you know, 40 years later, um, Kids are still laughing at those movies. Uh, so, you know, there's something good about them. It's got to be, you know. Uh, and I also get that comment uh, all the time is, gee, we wish they made movies like this, more movies like this today, uh, which is very gratifying. Well, definitely, like you said, it's one of those where there is something lasting about it. And I feel a lot of times it's because it was just very simple, funny humor. There was no, you know, it didn't have to be deep or have this rooted message. It was just very fun. Now, I guess with that and it going on for, you know, generations and looking back and, you know, you brought up the computer wore tennis shoes, I guess looking back now and you look at the way a computer was back then and the way computers are now, um, how is that looking at that comparison? Oh, yeah, it's so funny because, uh, you know, in that movie, I remember the the set, uh they actually brought in real Univac computers uh, to, to use in that in that scene, uh, and uh, you know it took up the whole room. It took up a, a whole, uh, and that was what 1969, 1970. Uh, and now you know that those computers that took up a whole room. You know, you've got it in your laptop. You have the same memory uh, in, in everybody's laptop. Uh, you know, they did a remake of Computer War Tennis Shoes for television um, with Kurt Cameron, I think, was in it, yeah. And uh, I watched it, and, and it, that was interesting. The story still worked, but there was something about the the old computer that made it funnier. I don't know why. It, 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 it you know, <laughs> too many people knew about computers by the time they did the remake, um, and uh, that was funny because I had a friend who was a producer on on that particular show, uh, the remake, and he called me. He said, "Would you do a cameo?" And I said, uh, "He said, what about Kurt?" And I said, "Oh no, I'm I know Kurt won't. Kurt was off doing some movie and." Uh, you know, they, so I turned him down, and like a month later, Kurt came back from wherever he was, and we got together, and, and I said, you know, they asked if we could do a cameo in the new, and he said, I would have done that. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no, we should have done it, you know. It's the same thing we said to somebody. Uh, we would do, they're doing new Blu-rays of those 
three movies. Um, Blu-ray releases. They've done the first two, I think. Um, and I ran into somebody, and, and, and I was with Kurt at the time, uh, and we both said, why didn't you ask us? We would have done, you know, commentary, because uh, we just love to, you know, goof off together. We would have done, you know, a running commentary on, on the Blu-rays on the movies, um, but nobody thought to ask us, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, and I think those are the kind of things where I think people would really enjoy it. You know, having some uh, ongoing dialogue or having you guys reminisce, you know, during the during the movie and having those audio tracks. I think people would really love that. And I think some of the younger generation watching this would really enjoy that as well, listening to you guys kind of look back at, you know, certain scenes and remembering how certain things were filmed or maybe an inside joke that happened on the set. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, things like, uh, he and I would, uh, we would get silly, uh, we, we every once in a while, usually when we were tired, uh, late in the afternoon or early evening, last shot of the day, sort of, uh, tiredness, uh, and if we were in a scene, you know, some of these scenes were sort of, uh, a little silly, you know, uh, you're dealing with, uh, these crazy what ifs, you know, what if you're, you could become invisible, what if you could be the strongest man in the world, you know, what if you were a computer? Uh, and I remember a couple times where we got the giggles, um, and, you know, we couldn't get through the scene <laughs> without <laughs> laughing. And, uh, the director, who was a wonderful man, Robert Butler, said, okay, we're gonna do the close-up. You, he pointed at me, he says, off the stage right now. <laughs> and he made <laughs> Kurt do his close-up without me off camera. And then brought me in and made me do my close-up without him off camera because we couldn't look at each other without laughing. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are the behind-the-scenes sort of fun things that happen to actors. Uh, you know, uh, I've talked to many actors who have had situations where they get the giggles and they can't stop. Um, it's a, it's a nervous thing, I think, more than anything else. Now, I guess, you know, with this being part of this Disney family and being part of a lot of great things, like the wonderful world of color, your numerous episodes of that, everybody loved, you know, tuning in every single week. Now, I guess with this, and, you know, you're an, you're an actor, a writer, so many different things. I guess with that, though, are you a Disney fan yourself? Totally. Uh, I have, uh, I've had, you know, season passes to, to Disneyland for, the last 25 years uh and uh like i said i have a full collection of all the animation um follow it very we watched zootopia last night uh, uh so uh you know which i really liked <laughs> uh so yeah no i i am a, a, a total fan uh i did go back to the studio in the 90s as a writer producer guy uh but unfortunately, the two projects that, that I went back and worked on never never materialized to film. Um, it was, a, but it was it was fun to go back. It had changed, uh, but the you know uh, Michael Eisner and, and Kassenberg uh, were there at that point. Um, they but they still had the same drive. They still had you know um, they wanted to keep. The Disney legacy alive, and 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 they did a good job of that, and obviously turned it into a major corporation too. Poor old Walt never never made any money. <laughs> he was he, he and Roy were always scrapping for every penny and dime they could earn to make another project. Uh, they weren't really smart businessmen. They were just really great filmmakers, and uh, 
So yeah, it was it was it was different going back, but uh, still fun. And being back on the lot, it's changed a lot. I went there just about two months ago. had had lunch uh, over at the studio, and and uh, they took me up. They've they've renovated Walt's office exactly where it was, uh, and um, they took me up. And it was interesting. I, I came into the outer office and in. Um, the the head of the archives, Becky, said, "Okay, you want to walk?" And and Walt had two offices. He had a, an outer office, which was, I mean, a, a main office, which was a big office, uh, and then he had a smaller inner office that was his sort of private domain. Uh, and I had been in both of them uh, with him several times. And I walked into this the big main office. She opened the door and went in, and I, I, I it surprised me. It was exactly the way I remembered it. They had restored it perfectly. Um, and I got very emotional. And I was almost embarrassed. And she said, uh, sort of emotional, huh, Mike? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, don't feel bad. She said, Haley Mills was here two weeks ago, and, and she broke down and sobbed. Uh, so I said, well, I feel better about it now. <laughs> uh, and then I went into the, the, the inner office, and... Uh, Sort of had the same reaction, uh, and, and they, Becky told me that Richard Sherman had really been flummoxed. He had been in there a week before, I guess, and, and uh, um, so you know that it was. You sort of felt Walt's presence, um, which was really sort of unnerving, but really sort of exciting too. Uh, they've done a really good job with the Legends Plaza there at the studio of keeping. You know the legacy alive. Uh, it's 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 all around you, which is terrific. Well, you know, and I think that's one of those things too, where the you know it's different for many different film companies out there, Universal, Paramount, and all those. But you get to Disney, and they do this good job of keeping the heritage, keeping it alive, never forgetting where it came from. And I think that plays a part also into why films like yours and everything that you've been a part of continue to go on for generations, because they make sure that all the new generations are always aware of the past as well. Yeah, they do a really good job. And, uh, you know, it went by, they started the archive office in 68, I think, uh, with Dave Smith. And he did a wonderful job all alone at first. Uh, and they've just done a terrific job of, of keeping the legacy alive and out there. And, and you know, the other thing that we were saying is the wonderful things is that the, the new parents are introducing their kids to the, to the, to the, the Disney uh, library, um, you know, that, that they loved. So they're passing it on, you know. There's new generations being being uh, indoctrinated with these fabulous movies. Well, you know, and with that too, you know, not just uh, I guess Disney too, but you've you know you've also been a producer, a writer, and so much more. I guess how different is it uh, going behind the camera and you know being a writer or a producer? I mean, how different is that being part of something that is leaving lasting impressions, but in an entirely different way? Yeah. Well, it, you know, uh, it's funny. I, I, uh, the acting was always the most fun. Uh, but to be quite candid, I mean, part of the reason my acting career sort of, sort of dried up a little bit, although I, I'd always had an intention. I went to UCLA Film School, uh, and got a degree in film there. 
I always had the intention of either writing, directing, or producing also. So, you know, that was in the plans. But my, my, when my acting career slowed down, then I really sort of actively pursued the writing and, and directing and producing. Um, and uh, it's very different. The acting is very one-dimensional and fun. Uh, writing's the most difficult because you're sitting alone creating something on a blank piece of paper or on a computer screen. Uh, but, you know, again, it w- I think all my experience as an actor helped me a lot to become, um, a, a, you know, a competent writer, I think, and a very good producer and a pretty good director. Um, and I did. I, I had a lovely 25 years in, in television uh, with series like The Waltons and Fame uh, and Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, I had... Uh, a wonderful run doing something completely different from the acting. Definitely. You know, and with that too, you know, like we said, you know, you've been part of so many different things, passed on to generations. You know, we don't want to keep you too long. We know that you're, you know, continue to be busy and whatnot. But I guess in looking back at, you know, your entire career and fans of uh, your entire career, whether that was writing, directing, on screen, uh, doesn't make a difference. Or people like myself, where we're passing on these films to my children who now like it as well. Are there any final words that you'd like to leave from Michael to all of your fans out there who really do cherish all these items that you've been a part of for the many years of your career? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd like to thank them. <laughs> I mean, we, we do it we do it for an audience, uh, you know, uh, whether it's the acting, or the writing, or the directing, it's, it's all for a purpose, which is to entertain and uh, hopefully enrich the audience. And uh, I've been lucky enough to be... Uh, in all areas, in very successful, uh, you know, uh, projects. And uh, but you know, I owe it all to that wonderful group of people out there that that uh, watch the project or watch the movie, the television show, and uh, enjoy it. Uh, so uh, I always want to thank them for um, sort of approving of my work uh and uh, that was i think every artist uh, you know that's the motivation is to uh to get that level of approval from your audience Definitely. You know, and that's the kind of thing, like I said, it's passing on generations. And, you know, I myself even have a homemade Medfield College sweatshirt. So, you know, hopefully the tradition lives on forever. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. You know, there was, I, 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 we never saw it. There was a, somebody did a PhD uh, treatise um, using the Medfield trilogy as a basis. It was some theological thing. <laughs> I have no idea what it was, but uh, somebody told us that. And, and Kurt and I said, "God, we'd love to read that to see what you know exactly how they could do it." So you know, uh, even those movies, that, you know, some doctorate out there, some guy with a doctorate was, was influenced to the point of, of doing his PhD uh, treatise on it. Also, uh, anyhow. <laughs> Disney strikes well, like, again. Right, always. That's always the way it goes, you know. But, you know, it was our pleasure having you stop in, take this moment, take this trip down memory lane, and, you know, thank you for all the memories and all the magic as well that I'm able to pass on to my children. So thanks once again, Michael, for stopping in and chatting with all of us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a 
pleasure. Sunday on Disney, the mob decides to kidnap Dexter, the human computer, in the hilarious conclusion of the computer wore tennis shoes. Then, Bob Hope's overseas Christmas tours. Bob brought Hollywood's biggest stars to our boys overseas. Travel around the world with Bob Sunday, right after Disney on NBC. Siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault where it is always a lion's den here. Well, more like a three-ring circus, but you know what I mean. I'm so glad to be back with you. As you can tell last time, I was not feeling well. And now that I'm feeling better and in the right frame of mind, I am ready to give you yet another recommendation for a DVD or Blu-ray that you can enjoy with you and yours this fine weekend. With Michael McGreevy right upstairs, I thought it was only fitting to go back into his catalog and look at some of the fine films that he has done for the Walt Disney Company. And I am so pleased to be able to give you his first dip into the Disney pool and one of my personal early Disney favorites. The 1960 absolute classic, Toby Tyler. It's the late 1880s and nothing makes any child smile even bigger than he does it's only matched to when the circus comes to town. This is no exception to 10-year-old Toby Tyler. It seems that his parents are no longer with us, and he's living with his foster family, Uncle Daniel. And after a bit of verbal abuse, Toby feels it is only fitting to go off and join the circus. Heck, who didn't want to run off and join the circus? I tried to run away once. That didn't work out so well. I had my bag packed, my lunch in my other hand, and uh, I didn't get very far. I got to the corner of our neighborhood and uh, decided to go back. Uh, one, I did not realize that you had to cook more meals than just what was in your 
your bag, and second of all, you couldn't play video games. So, uh, you know, wasn't going to work for me. But for Toby, it seems to be the perfect fit. Off he goes to join the three rings known as the circus, where he meets Mr. Stubbs. Think of him as Toby's Bubbles the Chimp, except Mr. Stubbs is far more mischievous. Things couldn't be greater. Well, that is until day one is over. And Toby's new employer, Harry Tubber, is quite a mean individual. It seems Toby can't get away from verbal violence at all. See, Harry tries to convince Toby that his Aunt Olive and Uncle Daniel really don't like him at all, and just want him to go away, all unbeknownst to Toby that both of them have been writing letters, and Mr. Tubber has been secretly hiding them away from him. And with the thought of never going home and staying with the circus, Toby decides this is his life, even scoring a huge role within the circus. Seems he'll be replacing a certain young protege. Hmm, this kind of sounds like showgirls minus anything related to Saved by the Bell. And with his new job, life couldn't be sweeter. That is until Mr. Stubbs decides to show him a little bit of something. And that's showing him how deceitful Mr. Tupper really is. And how he has lied to him about his aunt and uncle. Fed up, he packs his bags once again and begins to head home. But not too far behind him is Mr. Stubbs. This will be great. Toby will have a new friend. He now really understands his aunt and uncle. Everything will be great. Well, that is until Mr. Stubbs is accidentally shot by Jim Weaver. And of course, who happens to see this but Mr. Tupper and Toby are hauled back to the circus. Distraught and dismayed, Toby goes on thinking there's no better life for him. That is until he sees his aunt and uncle in the audience. Toby wants nothing more than to please his aunt and uncle, the other circus goers, and of course, try to find a way to get back home. But Mr. Tupper will have nothing of the sort and tries to stop him from making that joyful reunion. And as they say, on with the show, and Toby does do it. But it's the other fine circus folk that actually help him, namely Ben, who actually confronts Mr. Tupper about his tampering with the mail, which, by the way, is fraud, even if it is the 1800s, and warns him to leave him alone. So check one for Toby for getting things almost in perfect order. What's this? Mr. Stubbs has actually survived the gunshot? It can't be. Toby's best friend is back in action. And just as he begins his what will be final performance, Mr. Stubbs jumps down from the trapeze to join him in a final farewell act to the circus and a return back home to people and family who do love him. I think this was the shortest review I have done with a movie, but that's what's so great and simple about these early Disney classics. They are simplistic, but so full of meaning. If you're looking for a great morality story, this is your DVD. Yes, I will stress it is a DVD. No Blu-ray has been released yet, and unfortunately, no extras within this film. But with the great cast, including the iconic Disney boy, Kevin Cochran, I cannot stress enough how much of an enjoyment this film is.
You'll find many of the people that you see acting within this film so familiar because they had become pretty much the Disney canon of live-action films. Gene Sheldon had been seen many times in the ever-classic Zorro, as well as my favorite Christmas Disney classic, Babes in Toyland. And the same goes for Henry Calvin, who was also not only in Zorro, but in Babes in Toyland as well. As you can guess, Disney truly entrusted these fine actors to relay his message of love, family, and always trust amongst them all. Well, as easily as I have taken this one down, I'm going to put it back into the shelves and bring you another DVD or Blu-ray classic for you to enjoy next week down here in the vault. So until then, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is always a bag of peanuts and always deep inside of you. Come on, homemade, good friends are waiting. Everything shiny and new. Come where excitement is playing. Walt Disney and Sue. Come home to all your good friends. Mickey. Donald. Goofy. Herbie. Alice. Winnie the Pooh. Mary Poppins. Pollyanna. You have a stubby little nose. And many more. <laughs> You'll see your favorite heroes, including Zorro, Davy Crockett, the King of the Wild. Hey there, D Heads. Paige here with an all new magical music review. Recently, I've been spending a lot of time catching up on the latest on Disney Channel, and it's gotten me thinking about some of the older shows that I grew up with. One of the things I always remember when thinking of the older shows are the stars that made up the original Disney Channel Circle of Stars. The Circle of Stars was created by Disney Channel and the Walt Disney Company to perform cover versions of Disney songs. The ensemble has made three appearances on the channel over the years, starting in 2003 and most recently in 2014. In each appearance, the group is formed by some of the biggest Disney Channel stars of the time, from the TV shows and DCOMs, and they sing a popular song from the Disney Music Library that has some sort of relevance to the time the stars come together. Now, enough talking and on to the music. Let's pull these covers off the shelf and enjoy the three lineups of the Disney Channel Circle of Stars. Starting with our most recent Circle of Stars, 2014 saw our largest number of members with 18 stars, including two adults from the channel's popular shows. Represented by the third ensemble was Jessie, Girl Meets World, Ant Farm, Good Luck Charlie, Teen Beach Movie, and Lemonade Mouth to name a few. As I said before, the cover songs serve some relevance to the time of the release. In 2013, Walt Disney Animation had a hit on their hands, a hit that took off and is still going strong. I of course am referring to Frozen, and months after the film was released, the Disney Channel debuted the music video for the Circle of Stars cover of Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Very lyrical in the instrumentation, the song begins as even more of a ballad than the original version. The final verse is much grander and more dramatic than the rest of the song, with the entire ensemble singing together full of emotion. It ends on a much softer note, drawing the song to a close. The biggest difference in the lyrics between this and the original is a constant repeat of Anna asking Elsa, telling her it doesn't have to be a snowman, and the sad parting line as she walks away from the door. Do you wanna build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door, it's like you've gone away We used to be best buddies 
first ensemble formed in 2003 with the release of the Lion King Special Edition. The Special Edition brought the iconic film to DVD for the first time and brought to light the deleted song, The Morning Report. Eight of the channel's most popular stars were brought together to sing Sir Elton John's version of Circle of Life. With some changes in lyrics from the title version and a definite change in instrumentation that still fit the theme of the film's soundtrack, this version can be heard during the credits of the film. Stars from That's So Raven, The Proud Family, Lizzie McGuire, Kim Possible, and even Stevens made up this first ensemble. The popular ballad was brought to life with the use of percussion, strings, and synthesizers to have a soft groove. The group stays true to the lyrics of Elton John with no real noticeable changes in the words, following a pretty close tempo even to the original version. From the day we arrive on the planet And blinking, stepping to the sun There's more to be seen than can ever be seen More to do than could ever be done Some say eat or be eaten Some say live and let live
my personal favorite Circle of Stars ensemble came in 2005. Once again forming for the special edition release of a Disney animated classic, the ensemble was made up this time from representatives from That's So Raven, The Proud Family, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, and Phil of the Future, among others. What was special about this ensemble was that Raven Simone, Orlando Brown, Annalise Vanderpool, and Kyla Pratt were all returning members coming off of the first Circle of Stars. 2005 saw the release of the special edition of Cinderella, which Disney Channel promoted with a Circle of Stars cover of A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. The popular song has new lyrics to add to the familiar words sung in 1950 by Eileen Woods. The electric guitar, percussion, and synthesizers take the lead in instrumentation, giving the song a consistent rhythm that the stars were able to dance to.
And with that, my time for this week is up. Thanks for sticking around for another magical music review. Feel free to connect with me and the D-Team at The D-Wire on Facebook. Send me any comments, questions, or suggestions at page at disradio.com or send me a friend request, page disradio. I'd love to connect with you all. Have a wonderful rest of your week, D-Heads, and until next time, see ya! Kurt Russell is a campus scientist makes an amazing discovery. Invisible? Disney's Now You See Them, Now You Don't. Sunday at 7, 6 Central and Mountain on NBC. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. See? Wow! It's Disney On Demand. Dibs. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. Okay, I'm convinced. And a little disgusted. All right, all of you D-heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was a fantastic, magical romp. I really do love these shows when we get to go back into the classic history of the Walt Disney Company. I want to extend a very special thank you to our very special guest, Mike McGreevy, once again, for stopping in here, chatting with us, taking that trip down memory lane. It was our pleasure to have somebody like you stop in and chat about these great classic Disney live-action features and hopefully open them up for an all-new generation of D-heads listening in this week. Thank you, Mike, once again for stopping in and chatting with us. I'd also like to thank the D-Team. Yes, without the D-Team, there would be no show other than me rambling week after week after week. So I want to extend that thank you to Aaron, Paige, Jason, and Dominic stopping in here this week, chatting with all of you with their signature segments, and remember to connect up with the D-Team on Facebook, social media, as well as emailing them directly on the D-Team page found on our official website. And most of all, after seven years... Thank you, the D-Heads. Without you, there definitely would be no show. For the last seven years, you helped make Diz Radio exactly what it is, truly magical. So thank you, the D-Heads. You are the true magic behind this show. So next week, we're going to continue on into February. We're going to go into show number 164 and have some very special guests stopping in here once again. So before I release the reins here for the end of the week, I do got to give you all the different ways to stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlet on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand, on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky little show. And remember, if you want to stay connected instantly, it's super easy. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and you can subscribe right there. Just search Disney On Demand, Diz Radio, or Disney Blue, Find us, subscribe, and get the latest shows as they get released instantly to listen to, enjoy the magic, and be part of the D-Team family. So remember, you can find all these links and so much more if I rambled on too fast on our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z radio.com. So all VD heads, with that said, it is time to close out this week. It is time to move on and press on. So let's continue on into February, and next week we're taking you way back once again with another very special guest. Think the early 90s, think daily television, and think true lasting memories. Until next week, all of you D-heads, as I always say, slow down, take time, and never neglect family for business. So until next week, make the memories happen, make the magic happen, and I'm going to be off to see Disney on Ice this weekend, Passport to Adventure with my children. Until next week, D-heads, have a good one.
Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.